I'm screaming my <laughs> wife's name at the top of my lungs, and you're just nowhere to be found. I, I didn't see you for six screen. months. Dana six months later, like, six said months you took it like a champ. You didn't even say anything. You didn't even you didn't even want to come to the hospital with me. And that's the voice of my coach, Ray Longo, and I'm Chris Wyben. This is Won't Back Down, presented by BioAccelerator. Ray Longo really deserves no introduction at all, uh, because everybody who watches me and is listening to this podcast should know who he is. He is the uh, head coach for me my entire career. Um, without him, I don't think I would have accomplished anything uh, that I've accomplished in the sport of mixed martial arts. He's always, he just gave me so much confidence um, from the first day I met him um, until now. He's just such a good dude, um, really cares for his fighters, and that's why he he's accomplished things that no other coaches have done. Um, he has now had three champions, all from Long Island, you know, from a very small area that he started with from the beginning of their career until the end of their career. Once you start with him, you don't leave him uh, because there's nobody better. Uh, there's nobody that's going to care for you more in and out of the cage than him. If he decides that he likes you and he sees that you're willing to work hard, he will become a coach that is unstoppable, who is going to be sacrificing so much to do whatever it takes to bring you to another level. Uh, including sacrificing, you know, Sundays with his family. And so he sacrificed so much, uh, you know, for me and, and other athletes as far as, you know, his personal life. And I just appreciate him so much. Um, he's very well respected inside the industry, which is very well deserved. He, um, he is my business partner in our gym, Law MMA. Uh, he talks about how uh, I'm the worst business partner ever, which I disagree. I think he's the worst ever, but <laughs> either way, we love each other. Um, it's a great talk. It's a great talk because it's very, it, it, we get into the minds of athletes and the minds of coaches and what makes them tick and what makes them successful. And uh, we have a bunch of laughs as well. Um, all that is coming up in a moment. But before we begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I am feeling so much better after going down to BioAccelerator. Um, I can't tell you enough about you know how amazing they are. I mean, they treated me like first class, you know, in a first class way. Um, hyperbaric chambers, massages, um, injections of the stem cells, you know, throughout my whole body, any injury I had, they injected. It takes about six months to get the full effects, but I'm already feeling so much better. And so I just want to really thank them so much for helping uh, sponsor this show as well, um, because without them, we wouldn't be here. Um, all right, without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Ray Longo. All right, Longo, we got you by yourself. After all these guests that came before, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. You were in the background of Neglia. You know, there was a couple of chimes, you know, you threw in there as the second podcast right after the end of the Silva. It was a great spot, you know, great spot for you guys. 
But now you are, I think, the 21st or the 22nd guest. Well, you lasted Welcome, this long. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. The under over was 10, so you crossed the past the betting odds. <laughs> the people love me. <laughs> the people love it. Um, right away, let's get right into it. Wow. You have accomplished <laughs> something that I don't think anybody on this planet has accomplished. You have created not one, not two, you know where you're going with this? Three world champions, really all from scratch. Right. The real question is, which fighter was the best? <laughs> which champion it, was the best champion? It's, it's, it's actually funny you bring that up because I got another Either pick. You got Matt Serra over here. How about this oh, guy? What, happened, what uh, happened to that guy? That's a what favorite happened? right there. I mean, I, Where'd I that guy look, go? Where'd oh, he go? He's right there. He's walking. Hey, look, at that, look at that picture. That Nassau Coliseum, baby. It's a was dream. That, that was a Nassau Coliseum, was it? That was Nassau Coliseum. No, it was not. You're so wrong. All right. So I was wearing a bad boy shirt. Uh, listen, for this podcast, it's the Coliseum. It makes more sense. Hey, so I tried to get Matt and Aljo to come on the Zoom, like as I asked you this question, just oh, to make it super well, awkward. Aljo was available. Matt, Matt is, uh, Matt, I think he's on a plane. He's doing looking for the fight. His phone's going straight to voicemail. Oh, shit. I just got off the phone with him. Oh, and- really? <laughs> he's FU butted me. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but and his message is well filled up. But he's something's going, going on. I don't. I don't know. I couldn't. I, like nothing was going through, and the I mean, text messages were going green. He wasn't even iMessage. But anyway, back to the point. You got Matt Serra over here knocks out George St. Pierre, the, one of the greatest of all time. You got Aljamain Sterling over here, born and raised Long Island boy, just like Matt. Recent champion takes out Peter Yan in devastating fashion, and then you got this guy right here. Yeah, put me on. And I'll his leave. Spot. I'll leave the introduction to you. Go ahead, say. You something. know, I love all my people. I'm a, I'm a man amongst the people, Chris. I love everybody. I love all people, all different shapes, colors, sizes. It doesn't matter. We got to bring love into this world. Isn't this about what this podcast is about? Overcoming, oh my God! Overcoming adversity. This is this politically correctness. Is this what I see right now? You just don't want to offend anybody. You're worried oh, about being canceled. Yeah, right. I'm a I'm a woke one of those woke pieces of shit. That <laughs> that's me. How politically correct was that? I like it. I like where you're going with this. Yeah. Um, but how often do you get you get asked that question? You have to be asked that question a lot, right? What question is that? The question I asked you. I'm just checking. Like, oh, my God, you've had all these champions. And, like, who was the best? Honestly, tell me. Who was the best? Who was the best one? Well, I'll tell you, you know, back after you, I remember even Mike Constantino going, man, what's it like? You have two champions. Like, he was like, what's it like? But you know the way we are. Nothing. I don't really think anything changes us. You know what I mean? If you drop another million dollars in anybody's pocket, we're not doing anything different, you know? So it was kind of like that. It was always, you know, to me, it was just something you were doing. So it was, I was happy for the success. And I was happy for everybody else's success and let me be a part of it, to be honest with you that, that way. But I never looked at it as, I don't know. It was always on to the next thing. Kind of, I think that's what kept everything real is that it wasn't, I, you know, I wish I would have soaked and basked in the glory more, you know, like, because uh, it was, those were great moments. But, uh, you know, it was kind of something you just did every day. As weird as that sounds, you know, it was great right after always getting the accolades and watching you guys do your thing and get the attention. But uh, 
and then you just move on. So it was never uh, never something I was going to be complacent and go, that's it, I'm done. Uh, you know, it's more like when I don't get enthused for the fights, that's when I'm going to be done. Yeah. I know it's crazy because I think what you're saying is that you enjoy the process of the whole yes. thing. You know, it's like the day-to-day, the grind. You see each one of us, you know, and, and obviously all the other fighters in the gym that haven't became, yeah. became champions yet. But it's the grind every single day, like just making sure they're working as hard as they can and, you know, giving them the opportunities that they need and just doing the best as you can as a coach. And, if you know, you hope great things happen, but that's not the end of it. Just, you know, you, beca- you win a world championship. That's a great goal. But right away, there's... There's something else, you know, there's something oh, okay. else that you, you, you want to accomplish. You want to keep going. You want to be the you want, I guess, the fighters to be the best versions versions of, the, of themselves. Right. Right. One hundred percent. And it's, it's like the old it's not the destination. It's the journey. But, you know, when I've, I've said this even 10 years ago, I'm more interested in like you guys becoming better people after the fighting is done. The fighting is one little aspect of your life, but the fact that you guys have all been able to set up beautiful lives for yourself is just as important as, as the championships. And you guys are all doing great. You really are. It's, um, it's unbelievable. I mean, where would you have been without me? Where would you have been? Seriously, you want me to tell you? You, Jack, Terry Devlo, sitting at the bar going, I could have been somebody. Jack, remember that time I wrestled Volante in the state finals? I mean, this is, come on. Uh, that's you, hysterical this is this is a cinderella story for everybody uh, it is it is i mean look at this we we own a business together we're business partners i've sunk tons of money into that business you know am uh, i a good business partner how good am i as a good business partner wait. No, no, you're horrible. Am I an entrepreneur? Let's, let's keep it to the fighting. Don't no, go no, no. <laughs> I want How good of a business partner? Listen, like. you're a great friend. You're a great fighter. You suck as a business partner. What? Are you kidding me? So what do I got to say about you? Have you had any good business partners? <laughs> Neglia. You know what Neglia thinks of you as a business partner? <laughs> wow. I know. He, tell, he tells you every time. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm there every time he tells you. So you're taking it out of me. I'm the big <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. <clears throat> no, but it's all. Good. It's good to be able to joke around too. I think that's important. Laughing is, you know, is such an important, uh, you know, aspect of should be everyday life because you can't be in a bad mood when you're laughing, you know, so that's a, it's always good. So little vitamin L, most important vitamin you could have. That is vitamin L. I like that. No, I, never heard, I never heard of that vitamin, but that really? is L. It's on the, uh, I think it's on the periodic tables. You remember that? I, I got nice. W down tungsten. That's it because it's my last name. Uh, yeah, you don't know about <laughs> W on the periodic table. Um, who is the hardest worker in the history of you oh. being a coach? Out of everybody you've seen in the room, I feel like every fighter says in interviews, and you have to sit back and just watch it go down, and you, you stay right. quiet, but you see everybody in the gym every single day. So you hear me probably say, you know, I'm the hardest worker in the room. You see Al say, I'm the hardest worker in the room. You see Marab say, I'm the hardest worker in the room. You see Matt say, I'm the hardest worker in the room. You see yeah, Al yeah, Jermaine yeah. say, I'm the hardest right, worker right. in the room. And you go down the list. Who who truly is, in your I'll opinion? I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you. When you were working, you were the <laughs> hardest worker in the room. You were, really? You know, look, and even Steve Lee, Pumi, they always say when they first came to the school, they never saw anybody work as hard as you. We just had this discussion maybe a week or two ago. They were so impressed with your work ethic that, you know, it, it's crazy. But look, we do get injured. You know, things do happen and you try to tailor make certain things. Because you know, I remember one fight, like Marivi even saying, 
How come you didn't do the bungee cords? You always do. You know, remember we used to do like that. Oh, I, remember, I actually remember her saying that. Yeah, yo, she said oh. it. She was like almost concerned. And I was like, well, I know. he's got injuries. I got to work around it. I can't. It'll make the injury worse, like I think. So it was, you know, but when you were on, I don't think anybody did work harder than you. You know, and that's, uh, I'm going to say that's including even Marab, who's just a naturally natural hard worker. So I, it's almost like he works so consistently hard you don't even see it you know what i mean like it's a, it's almost a normal it's normal He's the machine yeah, i can't compete with the machine no 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 but you when you were on and we were pushing the car and running the hills and jumping into the ring to spar with what's his name after doing three fives of you know feet the floor work yeah, that's hard work man and then, then add the sixth, adding that sixth and seventh round of just torture you know what i mean so yeah, you know, we've modified things in the last, but you know, that's what I always loved. Just pushing, pushing people to their limits. And then I always knew that, you know, that would always pay off in the fight. Cause when, you know, the going gets rough, man, if you know, in the back of your mind, you didn't put the work in, that's the first thing that's going to, you're just going to make you crumble, you know, but when you know, you put the work in like, I really believe this with Marab, if he didn't put the work in, he wouldn't have survived with Marlon. He would have checked out, but he knew he was in fantastic shape. And I believe that's really why he he was able to survive and come back. Yeah. Um, I didn't think you were going to choose me. I thought you were going to choose someone else. But now you made me blush, and uh, I appreciate that. No, no. you, Hey, Chris, I could pull out your old workouts. You you listen. You crushed that Versa climbing. You were, you were crushing things. You weren't just working hard. You were, you were crushing it. Nobody was touching you on some of that stuff, even Bowman. Uh, you know what it's crazy because uh i mean that's what you need that's what you need to do i think in order to have that confidence going into these big fights you know if you want to become a champion i feel like you, i feel like i had to because i i made those i made those bad decisions so many times before i even got to, to be with you you know before right, i was a wrestler right. like I, you know the story i was like right. i was talented and you know I, I worked hard i was competitive you know how competitive i am so I'm, i want to win really bad but i wasn't willing to do like the extra work and really like kill myself in every workout to 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 make it you know um because i was able to get by and do all right but i never really got to accomplish my goal when i came to you and matt it was like now i gotta i want to pretend like i'm this hard the hardest worker in the room and like kill every workout and it was super hard i i yeah i kind of had to like fake it till i made it and then all of a sudden it became a habit for me where like now i have this in me where anytime i do work i do need to just try to it wasn't like I was trying to be the hardest worker in the room. I was trying to be the best version of myself. And ne- like, there's that voice in your head. It's like, you know, if I'm, I think a Versa climber is a good way to explain it because you can't beat the machine. Exactly. You know, you, you're on this Versa climber, and yeah. no matter how, yeah. you go as hard as you possibly can, and but your body's going to eventually fail. The, the machine's going to beat you. Right. So you could talk to yourself and say, you know, I'm gonna go kind of. I'm gonna go kind of as hard as I can, but I'm not gonna go as hard as I can because I'm gonna. My body's gonna fail on me. The machine's gonna win. So you, a lot of people, you know, they just find a pace and they hit. Exactly. But I remember like over and over again trying to program my mind to beat that voice, like, and just try to kill myself in every single one of those moments. You know, like I'm going to. I'm going to go as hard as I can. I'm gonna try to break this Versa climbing machine like in half. And I was like mad at the machine and I wasn't gonna ever slow down. My pace wasn't ever gonna break. But oh, it, was you were constant, it was a constant it was a it's a crazy battle. And that's 
And that goes to every single workout. It's like you show up to a jujitsu workout or a wrestling workout or a sparring, you know, uh, workout. And it's like a part of you is like, you know, how hard do I really want to push myself? You know, like it's scary to push yourself that hard. It's to get that tired is your body. You don't want to do it. Your mind tells you no. You know, it's like, don't, don't, you're not supposed to be doing this. Your body tells you no, but the more you are able to push yourself and go through that struggle, it's the most rewarding feeling afterwards. So I just knew is, is, is I, once I get done with this work and I really truly gave my all, there's no better feeling than being your best, trying to be your oh, best. But listen, the VersaClimb is a great example because the fitter you get, the worse it gets. So <laughs> yeah. like, it's not about even getting on shape on the VersaClimb. It's about really not mentally breaking. I mean, because that's, it's really like, it's even when we do the hills, it's not about the running the hills. It's about not wanting to run the hills and running the hills. So that's how you build discipline, right? You do something you really don't want to do. And you know, then, then shit becomes a habit. And like you said, then all of a sudden you're doing it. Even like the fake it till you make it. Yeah, you might have been faking it, but then all of a sudden it becomes part of you. And then it's just carries over into every aspect of your life, you know? So I, I love those things, not for the reason why people might think I like them, but I know that VersaClimber will mentally break people. And if you don't break on that, you got a good shot of not breaking in other avenues, you know? So it's, uh, I think it's a very important aspect. And I think, you know, sometimes we get away from the things that got us to where we go. Uh, and, uh, you know, you do got to evolve and I, I like it, but I, I just like that old school mentality where, and again, with that, I think you have to be young too, because, you know, you have to adapt as you get older. That's, there's no question about that. But if you're young and you have the ability to do it, you should be doing it because trust me, when you stop, it is going to carry over, you know? Know what I mean, but you're gonna have to make up with it maybe in technique or learning how to relax more or whatever avenue it is, you know, that you, you're going. Yeah, I think there's a uh, I'm with you. I think, and I've had been on both sides of this, and we could it's a fine line. I know where you're going, it's, it's a, a fine, fine line, line, but it's yeah. been you know, we're years, I'm years into this, so I, I, you've seen yeah. when you know, I was on the pinnacle of the sport and champion, and you know, no one was gonna beat me. And then you've seen where I've had losses and stuff. And I think one of the major things, at least in my mind, what happened was I had some injuries. And it was like now, you know, they're talking to different people, you know, whatever. You get your mind thinking, oh, I got to do less. The less I do, the less, least chance of getting injured. So, right. And that's kind of what ended up happening, I think, with me. Ended right. up hurting me in my career uh, and a part of my career is – I remember going to that Vitor Belfort fight and we I started a training camp at six weeks. And listen, I was a champion of the world. I'm eating good dinners. I have friends, you know, we're right, you know, right, for right. the first time I'm living like, you know, feeling good. And it was when I beat when I, after I beat Anson Silva the second time, it's like, all right, I defended my belt, but still there was so much like, oh, I got lucky, I got lucky again, you know, like I'm not real champion. And then Leota Machida came around, I'm like, all right, I gotta beat him. Like there was still that chip on my shoulder, hardcore, like I'm shutting everybody up and I'm gonna show everybody I'm the best and whatever. So I trained super hard for that fight. Like that, that training camp was insane. Uh, I remember doing the footwork like crazy. You had me doing crazy footwork because we knew he had great footwork, and I got to be able to stay with him for five rounds. You cut him off beautifully too. You suffocated him. Yeah, but going to the Vitor fight, you know, I had some injury. I pulled out of the first one because you know, I had some injury. There was backlash. Dana White got pissed at me. The you know fans are saying you know I'm injury prone, and so now I don't want to back out of a fight. So then it's like all right, instead of doing the you know the eight to ten week camp and you know, working my ass off. Um, let's do a six week camp. But six weeks started. <laughs> the six weeks starting, 
you know, six weeks out from the actual event, which is five weeks of work, I go in there and I win, you know, and it was a slap. It was like a, you know, I was still working hard when I was there, but it wasn't, uh, I don't think I was as like focused and I didn't have like that chip on my shoulder as much at that point. I, you know, I already accomplished, I shut everybody up, but you know, I'm undefeated world champion, blah, 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 defended the belt now two times. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But then I win. And then now I have that habit of thinking, oh, look, it worked. You know, I, I dominated Vitor, you know, basically in five weeks of training and then just trying to do less, just trying to do less. And then next thing I know, that catches up to you. Yeah. And uh, five weeks actually is like almost like a short notice fight at this point. You know, like I know. you haven't been training, you got five weeks. So if you're always in the room, training you know like a marab he could take a fight on two weeks notice because he's right there you know what i mean and uh again going back to even the conditioning like you could be the most talented guy in the world right what's the the, the saying is um hard work will always be talent when talent refuses to work hard right so you could be a talented guy but then you get a guy like marab who now after just even all the stuff we talk about has this aura. He, the guy's not going to stop. He's jumping into frozen water. He's cutting his head. He's laughing. He's nuts. He's, you know, so when you're standing, the the, you know, you got to kill this guy. It's yeah. a, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a different vibe going in there. And it's only natural people are humans. They got to be thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? Uh, so I think that's what happens. So like, again, talent, Hard, I mean, talent uh, beats hard. Uh, hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard. Yeah, and, and that's like, a Lou Negley. That's I got that from Lou. I don't know where he got it from, but but it's true though. And that's what happens. You, I like the hard work because that's the bare minimum. That could that could get you far. And then you couple that with talent. That's a bad combination, man. Very bad. Which you know. Yeah, and I don't think there's anybody scarier to fight than a guy that you know is not going to stop. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? You're going to have to kill this guy. You're going to have to yeah. knock him out cold. There's no tapping. There's no – he's never going to stop moving. He's never going to stop coming after you. There does, there's not not one punch or move or takedown or anything that you could do that's right. going to make this guy stop for one second. Yeah. And no matter how talented you are, that's the guy that you're like, eh, that, because yeah. it's a little nerve wracking. Like because there's nothing worse than being in a fight and being tired. Having a guy uh, still nothing. moving while you can't move. You hey, know? listen, nothing. Even in sparring, nothing's worse than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. You'd, thing. you'd rather get hit. Yep. You'd rather get hit. You know, you don't even have the energy to move in the right way. Just, just hit me. You know. So yeah, it's it. That's why you. You got to learn those lessons young and you really just got to work your ass off. But, you know, and with intelligence, not just crazy work, it's got to be done the right way. But you got to push yourselves past the normal threshold. Else, you know, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, let's talk about your come up into martial arts and um, how you got in the sport to, to begin with and how you start coaching fighters. Um yeah, this is this is good because this might apply to the podcast, you know, to what your theme of the podcast is. Because I thought about that when you called me. Uh, so I look, I was teaching martial arts. I going to tell you at the time out of out of my mother's garage. It's years ago, and then uh, what year guy, you think this was? If you had to get how like, how old were you in what year? I'm going to say twenty five, twenty four, maybe, and. Uh, Mike Ryan walked in. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to learn Jeet Kune Do. And he said he boxed in the Navy. And uh, yeah, Chris, at the time, man, I was, there was no Thai boxing on the East Coast, right? So Thai, Thai pads just kind of came out. 
So he never even saw him before I would work him on the tie pads. He'd be exhausted. He goes, this is crazy. It was almost a secret weapon. And these tie pads were hard. They probably weighed 18 pounds each, but there really wasn't any tie boxing around. I was getting it from California because the Jeet Kune Do guys always had savant guys. They had judo guys, wrestlers, tie boxers. They got to see everything. And they, they took, they took a lot from that. So I was exposed to some tie boxes, world champion tie boxes early that I grabbed a lot of experience from. So when I met Mike, started doing more like kickboxing, but with the tie pads, really just, just for cardio. And, you know, obviously he became a world champion. You know, then I start promoting fights and I'm, I'm giving you the abridged version because yeah. where, where I'm going with this. Uh, and, you know, Kind of the rest is kind of history. I met Matt after that doing jujitsu. But I think the thing for the theme of the story is that, and it never affected me because I never looked at it, but I never fought, right? So I was a martial arts teacher. And then, you know, when I met Mike, he started fighting. He became a world champion. And I had to really look around because, you know, I don't even, like, again, I don't even know. I don't, I think fighters don't make the best trainers, right? So I think it was a blessing for me because, I had to go out and research. I had to start sparring more, just getting my feet wet with everything. And I really just think it made me a way better trainer than if I had fought. You know? Were you thinking at that point, though, you were thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to become a trainer. I, like, I actually want to train fighters. Well, I was still more of a martial arts instructor. That's definitely what I wanted to do. And then I started having success with some guys in the gym. And, you know, then when the jujitsu came around, I started and I saw Matt. I met Matt. I tried to, you know, I convinced him to do. He didn't want to do stand up because everything yeah. back then was jujitsu. So I tricked him. I said, why don't you do the Thai boxing for conditioning? <laughs> right. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. And then I think the first time he came to my school, I don't have to ask him, but I think he was throwing up in the bathroom. That's but he awesome. fell in love with the conditioning. Matt was a really another super hard workout. Those workouts we used to do were two hours long. Yeah. I mean, it, it was nonstop, but he really was another, I don't want to, you know, slight him. He was another really, really hard worker, really hard worker. He was a, he was a freaking animal. Like I, when I look back at videos of, uh, not even his fights, but when he was in the, like the Abu Dhabis, when he was doing jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, he was unstoppable. He was a freaking freak. He was a, Dude, he, he was, was a problem. But it was the same thing as when you would walk into a room. That was him. He was tapping everybody. Yeah, and just but I mean I think the difference is he's five six a hundred and something pounds. You're a, you're a big <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, you'd yeah, be crushing people. Yeah. He was. It didn't matter how big you. Were. I saw him tapping guys that were benching five hundred pounds. Easy. Yeah. Like it was a. It was just a great period for martial arts. It was new. You know, everybody was learning it together. It was just a nice, nice period. So it's a crazy time, though. Yeah, again, yeah, again. So going back to like, so am I at a disadvantage because I never fought? You know, I remember going to Gleason's and there was like a world famous trainer, and I watched him coach somebody. I think the guy's name was Victor Valley. Had Jerry Coney, and I'm like, holy shit, I could do this shit in my sleep. Like that's that's see, that's the difference. Like you could tell me I never fought. I never thought of it like that. I think I could kick your ass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my brain, it might be delusional, but yeah. it's helping me, you know, because yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, man, I hear this guy on TV all the time. He's the best. You know how they do that. You know, yeah. you're a young guy. And then I'm listening to him. I'm like, you know, we always thought outside the box. We were never cookie cutter mentalities, like just do what you say. So yeah. uh, do what, you know, do what I say. So I was like, wow, this is, you know, I've been in street fights. I've always grew up watching boxing. I go, this is, you know, 
if this is what it's about, man, I got this shit like wrapped down in my head. That's you, wait, you're watching them hold pads and stuff and train the Not guy. A, Chris, there were no pads back then. Oh, so you, I, what are you watching them do? I, just coaching. It got coaching his fighter in the ring, telling him okay. what to do. Okay. You know, so it was more like I'm listening to him. I'm standing right there. And I'm like, wow, this is like easy. You know, that's the way I was looking at it. You know, uh, you know, look, the thing with the focus mitts holding, I was telling guys in the gym, you know, they were watching Sugar Ray Leonard fight, which I recommend everybody do because that guy was the best. I'm saying the guy never hit a focus mitt in his life. All that work was through sparring. You know what I mean? So yeah. now we want to cut back on the sparring. So you kind of have to go to the mitts. Yeah. But back in the day, there were no real focus mitts. Not like you see today. Yeah. Was it hard for you coming from like Jeet Kune Do background? Was there, was there a time where you were like, Jeet Kune Do is where it's at? Because, I mean, at that time, wasn't it where it was like jiu-jitsu was versus boxing versus wrestling versus karate versus Jeet Kune Do? Like, so were you stuck at, at, you know, I know you started martial arts as a kid. Like, were you stuck in that mindset ever? No, nah, definitely not. No, because the Jeet Kune Do mindset isn't like that. It's about exploring and taking the best from, you know, what you perceive is the best from every art. And they were big on boxing. They were big on Thai boxing. And they were big on shoot wrestling at the time, which was, you know, not not Brazilian jiu-jitsu for sure. But the, the um, I think the lineage was JKD was ruling for uh, part of the 80s, I'm going to say, and then uh, or the 70s to the 80s. Then Thai boxing came in, and that was king. And then jiu-jitsu came in and wiped out that. Then the wrestlers came in, started doing good against the jiu-jitsu guys, and it all came full circle back to the strikers who could defend the takedown. It's, they started doing good. So it's, it was a beautiful – it was great to be a part of and watch that transition go on also. You know, so no, but I was never stuck in a JKD – thing i i look i know what's real and what's not real right so and even uh, early on obviously it's easy to see clear now because you've been around mixed martial arts forever and you kind of you've seen every martial art come and go yeah but even back then you kind of you knew yeah because even to have a mind yeah even the guys i was involved with weren't uh they didn't have that mentality they had a you got to see this like even when um i remember i was training with a guy paul vunak was a great guy and he called me one day and said, there's a guy, Craig Kukak, coming out to New York. He was one of Horian's black belts. He goes, this is what he said to me. He goes, get with this guy. A year from today, you'll be way ahead of everybody. Because that was the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu in New York, I think, was Craig Kukak. Yeah, it's crazy. And, from the crazy. Under, was he under Henzo? Under Horian. Under Horian. And yeah. he did do a partnership with Henzo, but Henzo was not in the scene yet for years. Yeah. They did a series together, and then Henzo came over. But it was so bad back then. I would go there; there'd be like five people in the class. I'd go to the city on Saturday mornings, and he would, "Ray, can you make money as a martial artist, like doing this?" I go, "Yeah, you know." I felt so bad. I used to bring my students there, a couple of students every week to give them business. Help them out. And then, like, I'm going to say. Six months later, I was sparring in the city and I dislocated my shoulder and, you know, I was in a sling for two months and then I rehabbed. I mean, rehab wasn't the way it was today. Nothing was, right? It's 93, I believe. And I guess that's when the UFC came out. The UFC won and he was, Kukak was telling me they had a guy, they designed an octagon, what they were doing, but I was out of the city for like, I'm going to say a minimum of four months. And when I went back there, it went from six people 
to 30 people in, two, in the nine o'clock list and 30 people. It was packed. And that's where I met Matt technically for the second time, but really the first time. And that's where we became friends. And, uh, you know, he was a phenom on the match, man. He just, he by far was the best guy in the room and he just started climbing the ranks and, uh, he lived it, man. I, I said, yeah, I gotta go back, like working hard. Dude, I'd watch that guy rep a hundred arm bars on each side. And then the arm bar, the guy pulls out, go to triangle, triangle, home plot. It just, he would put in, I thought it was like three hours. Like I'm like, I was already like had the attention deficit disorder. I couldn't last more than 10, 10 minutes. I'd rep with his fall. I go, let's just start rolling. I can't even, it was killing me. But those guys would rep the shit out of everything. And man, did it pay off. You know, you got to remember, he had three brothers and a father who was into it. So when he came back on Saturdays, he could practice with everybody. I came back, I had nobody to practice. So he'd be going, like, he'd be torturing me, like, oh, you're practicing the moves at least when we get, you know, I couldn't remember him. By the time I got back from the city, you know, it was so new, I, I forgot everything, you know, but it was a great, great period of time for everybody. And that's, that's how that's, I don't know, I don't hope I'm not spacing out, but I think I'm trying to give you some lineage. No, no, it's good. Were you, were you doing the VHS tapes and stuff from oh, yeah, 100%. The, the Gracie tapes and stuff? hundred uh, percent. And were you you were learning a lot from that, like and trying to work on that with like yeah, your students. Listen, I'm not the best example for this, right? Because Matt would go, "This is what he would." Are you watching the tapes at least? We'd get there. So I put together something every Thursday night. He'd run a class at my school just for a couple of people, the guys that were going to the city. And that that's dude. Are you, are you practicing? Like you, I was already. I was mad. I just got married. I was like 36, which is got to be like 46 today. You know yeah, what I mean? Like. Yeah. A, you know, back then I was 36, wasn't 36. That's crazy. Today, yeah, what you know are you, what what I mean? you doing? So, not married yet, right? I mean, I'm started, I'm starting out with, I'm already 36, you know? So it was, uh, whatever. I had a lot of fun with it, but, you know, it was for the young guys, I think. And then I just focused on the striking as best I could. And, you know, he was the ground guy. And yeah. that's, that's what we did. And, and you guys never decided to partner up and have your schools together? No. And what happened the reason there? being is because I was already 35 and I saw what could happen when people partner up in business. They're not friends. And we said we made the decision to, you know, not do that because the friendship was going to be more important. And it, and it turned out right because obviously I'm still one of my best friends today, 30 years later. You and know? then what happened to me? Why did you want to do it with me? Okay, so we, I'm going to say this is a good question. So with you, I was already in my 50s. So I wanted to just see you succeed. So my mentality was, no matter what happens, I'll do what you want to do. Like, I'm, I'll acquiesce to you because I'm done at this point. Like, there's no, you know, uh, it's I'm not 30 years old where everybody's going to be fighting over something. I was already kind of content, and I thought it was a great transition for you. And I thought, you know, we do great things together, except you never showed up at the school. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So that that was it. I, I was never gonna let it affect the friendship. And and although it did get rocky, you know, it does get rocky at times. So even with that mentality, like I'm going in there with a good mentality, it could get tough, right? But um, but that was kind of the way it was. I just, you know, I thought it was good for you, and and that was it. I mean, you know me, I want to do my own thing, and you know, we had a you know, that that was it. You know, yeah, so I did. Yeah, I mean, it, it was 20 years after I made the other decision. 
I don't know. And you were on the grind at that point. You were yeah, grinding. Was, you know, you were trying to make money, trying to get sell yourself up for the future. You started yeah, a family. It's yeah, a different, it, different, completely without different. Without a doubt. Field. I didn't want to and I had a really good time with Matt. I didn't want to blow that. that, that, that my recommendation. And Matt would have killed you. Yeah, yeah. Would've Matt would have killed you. I think Matt's answer would be a little bit different. You're joking. There's no way. There's no way that you guys are doing that together. Yeah. He wouldn't allow it. <laughs> he thought I was crazy. He couldn't I'm, believe listen, it. I'm I'd have a sit down. How long, am I, how long am I partners with Lou for? <laughs> no, I don't feel he's just. 30 years. <laughs> what do you do for him? Let me tell you something. Yeah, who works harder, you or him? Oh, he 100% worked way harder than me. He doesn't yeah. stop. He does not stop. You he can't does keep not stop. No, I would, I, listen, you got to be real in life, too, and you got to give it up. There's no I would never even <laughs> remotely make anybody believe I'm working harder than him because yeah. he deserves it. He works his freaking ass off. But uh takes a special individual to navigate the waters, you know? I mean, and I agree. I think I, I, think I was good for him. Oh, he was good for me. And he's become one of, again a close friend. Nah. He's done really a lot for me. You know, he's become a, a real big influence in my life, and he's just a great guy, man. He really is. You you see it when you talk to him. He's just he's different. He he's always motivating, and he's you know he's got a great backstory. Oh, I love him. He really yeah. is the best. Um, we're talking about Louis Neglia, by the way, people. If you don't remember he was my second podcast ever grew up in that mafia era as a kickboxer as an italian kid lots of pressure at, at that time where you you would want to be in the mafia right it's like it, that would be no, a cool thing to do people aspire to that in that neighborhood but he stayed strong he stuck to what he uh believed he didn't want to be a bully right that was like the big thing right. for him right that kind of kept him out of it but so respected by all those guys and some of his best friends right or yeah, 100%. guys, you know. Um, yeah, 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 just the way it is. But, you know, he's got to come from a great family, too. And that's that's important to be grounded and really surrounded by people that are really a positive influence on your life. That if you start swaying a little bit, you know, they, they, they're your GPS, right? They get you back on track to where you should be going. I'm going to go back to one of my earlier questions. So now this is more honest and not BSing. You've on, you've had a crazy career with old Long Island guys, pretty much, other than Rob. Right, right. You know, like, like uh, how many fighters in the UFC? I, like, I don't know how many fighters you brought to the UFC, but old Long Island guys, New York right. guys. How is this happening? Like, in your eyes, I mean, it's a rare thing. We we don't recruit. We don't we don't try to get guys to come to our gym like a like a lot of other gyms out there. And really, till till this day, we really have one of the some of the best guys in the world you know right. uh fighting out of our gym what do you think's happening there well a, a couple of things number one i love being the underdog i love it i want i did that that's what really motivates me to get guys got no shot to win this fight really he's got no shot that guy's that good you think he's that good he's got two hands and legs and everything my, my guy has and that's really what used to motivate me with that shit is that you know i'm a nobody you know what I mean? But I never ever thought of myself like that. And I never thought of my fighters like that. And, you know, even uh, I'm in Florida and I went to visit Sanford MMA. Chris, the facility is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like that facility. And, you know, I love Henry Huff. He, you know, he's a straight shooter. He's honest. Uh, I couldn't, I can't even tell you what I was looking at, but it motivates me. Like, I, like the way I'd say, we had this conversation earlier today. 
What we did with a little gym with nothing is mind boggling, but that's why we did it because that's the shit that motivates me. I want to have that pressure on me as a trainer that you got doctors 24 seven, you have this, you have the steam room, you got, that's good, man. But you know what? When I, that door closes, you guys got to fight. You know what I mean? Period. You know, I don't think like a lot of these Dagestani guys we're seeing coming up now, I don't think they're in the biggest facilities, but man, they're bringing heart, determination, hard work, you know, great skill with the wrestling, different ball games. So disciplined people too. Yeah. Disciplined. You know, you know, most of them like very, uh, you know, Muslim, you know, strong in their faith. So they're not drinking. They're not going out. They eat, they sleep, they train and they go to the mosque. You know, yeah. and do their prayers. And that's it. I mean, it's a disciplined, very disciplined lifestyle. And that's how you, we want to be as Americans. But as Americans, we have so much going on. And we're pulled in all these different directions. We're all over the place, right? I think that's part of not even just Americans, just people well, that don't were- have a strong faith in something greater than themselves that humbles them and grounds them to be able to focus on something like that. You know, it's a very... Uh, like samurai type mindset to have, and it's it's hard to have that. Well, it's hard to have it here because we live in a very pluralistic society, right? There's 200 religions here, and you know, it, it, not that it, you know, you want freedom of choice and everything, but on that level, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it might weaken something, right? When you just grow up one way and you have that belief, you know what I mean, like a kamikaze belief. That's a dangerous guy. It really is. You know, like over here, we go, well, it could be this or I do this or I'll switch to Catholicism or I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to be a Muslim tomorrow. You know, how many people have done, you know, but over there, it's it's I think it's a little different. I can't really speak about it because I don't know, but they are very, very disciplined. Um, And but again, that's what turns me on. I just I like being the underdog and I like, you know, being able to convey to you guys that. You could do anything you fucking want. I'm not buying into it. You could buy into it because the guy's got this or he trains here. Or he's, I don't care. I, I really don't, you know, and, and, you know, I try to create our own belief system that, you know, we could do anything. And I think it's always worked out as long as you're working hard. Cause I'll tell you the second that stops, I don't want to keep going back to that. I, to me, things just start to, to weaken. And, and even if you work your ass off, you work hard and you lose, you're still a winner. That's the difference. But if you didn't work hard, then you actually are a loser because you could have controlled that and you chose not to. And that's a, that's a huge thing, man. Yeah. And do you feel bad for those people? That choose not to work hard? Yeah. How hard? Why would I feel bad for them? And you're probably not in their corner really, really like pumped to be there and, and expecting great things from right when you don't see uh, someone giving a hundred percent how are you going to give a hundred percent of yourself right it's a good and, point and i think i think that's what separates our gym and honestly what separates you from all these other coaches and you know all respect to other coaches but i think what you bring to the table is very unique it can't can't be taught um it's something uh that is just naturally in you one you're very smart you're in the mma world Typically, you know, not the not the you know the smartest people in the world want to turn into MMA coaches, right? But you you come right. from an accounting background, and that's all respect to everybody out there. You know, you're obviously a, a smart dude. Um, but what I think is your most uh, 
valuable weapon and what makes you actually really intelligent is the way you understand people and the way you're able to connect with people because I don't think a lot of people could do that. Um, you're very, you come off as very real and honest and if, if you're not feeling somebody, they know. But if you are, if you believe in somebody, you're going to give them every single ounce of yourself. You know what I mean? You're there every, you're there on Sundays. You're sacrificing time, you know, with your family oh, yeah. and whatever you want to do personally. If you have a dinner that you might want to go to, nope. If you find out Marab wants to do a workout on a Sunday, that's what you're doing. You know what I mean? Or, you know, through the, through the years, you've sacrificed so much. There was a and lot then, of sacrifice. And then in return, the fighter sees this. You know, they see how much you've, you're doing for them. And me included, and they see your confidence in them and all the hard work and everything that you're putting in, and then in return, they want to they want to honor you. They want to they want to make sure you're proud of them. You know what I mean? Like to know that that I'm making you proud, and like the athletes making you proud. It's get it's gonna get weird if I start talking start talking about myself with you. It's gonna get like I'm you know, we're gonna start crying. So yeah. I'm trying to use other people as as the yeah. as the uh, example, but um. You you just want you want to make Ray proud. You want to, you want to you don't want him to look bad. You if he actually truly believes you should be winning these fights, you know you don't want to make him look like a liar. Like you know you want to you want to prove him right. And um, there, I don't think you get that anywhere else. You, you know, let's say there's five or six fighters, right? And I, I don't know what your max is that you could actually spend with a fighter to yeah, make bad. them the top level championship fighter. I don't know how many guys you could do at a time. I know it's not that many. It's impossible because you have to give so much, right? You have to you have to get to know them personally. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to stay, you know you're talking to them after practice. It's not just like oh they're here for this practice and they're done. No, you're texting, you're calling, you're you're uh, you know you get to know their families. You're talking to them about every personal issue that they have in their life since the beginning. Like you know everything about me, everything I've ever gone through, which is you know the crazy crazy highs and obviously crazy lows. You know more than almost anybody in my whole life because after a workout. You were the guy who was there and I'm able to, you know, trust. And then like we're going into this battle together. You know, we go into this fight and it's like to have you there with me uh, behind me, knowing that you've been with me from the beginning, every step of the way, through every crazy hard workout, through all the highs and lows, it gives a confidence that can't be broke, that can't. The guy's going to beat you. If, if he does beat you, it's because he was better than you that night. That's it. It's not because you didn't put the work in. It's not because you don't have great coaching and great training. You knew, I knew going into a fight that I'm prepared because you're telling me I'm prepared. And that gives a confidence that is world champion level confidence. You know what I mean? That I'm going to be the world champion because yeah. you got you who's there the whole way doing everything you possibly can to make sure that we develop that. Yeah, and you lose, I lose, man. I take those losses hard. I Look, I might fake it and I have to be like politically correct but the, the losses absolutely fucking kill me you know again i'm just saying that like between me and you because you know like when i'm out there you still you know you can't act like a complete idiot but um yeah you know i look back like like again the sacrifices were crazy that's the only thing i could have screwed up is i took too much time away from my family but i still think i balanced it and you know i had Vilma; she was unbelievable with the kids and you know, I think it's almost like they had two girls because they weren't playing sports. I didn't have to go to the games and stuff. So everything works out for a reason. But I think I pulled it off. But that if there was an area with the sacrifices, like you said, look at it. One night, come on, before the Sakara fight, 
We couldn't train because you had Cassidy, I think. And I brought my daughter, Danielle, down to watch Cass. She's watching Cassidy at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night while you're pushing the car in front of the building. I mean, you can't make this shit up, though. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we would do anything to get that training session in. It wasn't like, now nah, I'm tired. I'm doing this. I'm now nah, we're doing it. We have to do it. We have to win. And I felt that was a very important part. And plus all the other connections you make, you know. Yeah. So, And that's why, like, these other gyms, these super gyms, you know, they got the hyperbaric chambers. They got the saunas. They're, you know, mat space for days. Tons of training partners. Everything's in there. Everything you possibly want. Chiropractors, <laughs> orthopedists. They got everything you could ever want if you had to, like, you know, plug in exactly what you would want in a gym. But what they don't have is is a guy like you, you know, a team, you know, and Matt, um, you know, we're, you know, this is your, this is your day on the podcast, but obviously we all know Matt's a big part of it as well. But um, without him, I'm not here. So that, yeah. I want to make that perfect. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, what was I just even saying? Yeah, I'm one more, one more might be worse than you. Uh, I'm over here complimenting the hell out of you. You can't um, stop thinking about it. I t- <laughs> I'm just happy you didn't make fun of me today. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Let's get to that. Bro, I was, I was, so I was, you, I you was talking to get roasted today. I'm done. Was, yeah, I'm done with being nice to you. Forget about you. it. Love you to death, but now here comes the next episode. Yeah. Here it comes. Oh, yeah, here Bro, first of all, you love me so much, you really care about what guys <laughs> lose. How about when I break my leg in half? <laughs> My bones come shattering through my my calf muscles into my <laughs> in, out through the skin. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm screaming for my wife's name. I'm screaming my wife's name at the top of my lungs, and you're just nowhere to be found. I, I didn't see you for six screen. months. Dana six months later, like, Dana six said months. You took it like a champ. You didn't even say anything. You didn't even you didn't even want to come to the hospital with me. You go, I Tom. You telling Tom Lane to go to the hospital with me. Because the, the COVID thing, I know I'm not seeing you. So what am I going to the hospital for? I could do the same thing in the room. Nobody was able to see you. They sat there. They you came in. We, ha- we made things happen. They came Tom in. Tom Lane didn't go in. I don't even. Tom Lane was with you drinking at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> don't you remember? <laughs> you guys were all just having a drink at the bar. And listen, for everybody listening. Apparently, Sarah was getting hit on by like all these different. I was way younger. I'm getting a little older now. I might be losing a little (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing at the hospital? (laughs) I will say, I I said this, um, uh, ESPN is doing this whole documentary thing. I'm an E60 thing coming up. So we were talking about um, like after the surgery and recovery and what it was all like. And uh, I mean, you have no idea because you weren't there, but um, <laughs> you know what the problem is? I spoke to you a number of times, but you were so doped up or whatever they gave you. You have no recollection. So it, now it is true. In your, brain, in your brain, you think we weren't even talking. I it know, is true. I know we had conversations and that's the crazy thing. That's why I was, that's what I was going to bring up. Actually. It was funny because I was like disgusted. I'm like, Longo has even called me once. Like I, I remember, I was talking to either my wife, Sarah, who's she's a part of Vena Sports, my management company. She's hey. awesome. Shout out to awesome. Sarah. Um, but I'm like, Longo even has even called me, and I was freaking <laughs> disgusted. I'm pissed. I don't know if don't you reached out to, to I don't me and told believe me you right. Now. This is like three weeks after my. This is like three weeks after my injury. <laughs> And apparently, we sp- me and Ray spoke multiple times. I could not remember anything. Like stuff that happened after that fight, I was so doped, doped up on anesthesia and 
And, you know, I've had 25 surgeries and I've had, you know, you have painkillers for a couple of days and you're off. I was legitimate on painkillers for like, I don't know, eight weeks. I got, nonstop. I, got, I had to. I was in so much pain. It was terrible. Listen, and I could not re- – and I would talk like it's normal. I would talk normal. So everyone thought I was completely fine. I didn't seem doped up. But I couldn't remember anything. Yeah. I, I didn't I, realize that, you know, what's, you know what's scary is that those were some of the best conversations we ever had. <laughs> Please tell me what did we talk about? And you don't even remember him. What kind of a friend are you? That's a I'm pouring my fucking heart out to you. You have no idea we were even. Talking. Can you pretend like it's a? Can we I replay might it? Well just talk to this bottle. What is that bottle? What thing. do you do? Cold, bro. I got downstairs. Oh, I'm cramping. It's really. Um, you're cramping. That's a because you're getting a pain in your chest. I'm dehydrated. You know what you're doing? You're getting a pain right in your heart because you accused me of not even calling you. Now God's getting even with you. I'm going back to a serious question. What, and this is honest, even though you didn't really talk to me for a while after this happened, but when my leg broke in half, you've, I mean, the only time you've ever been caged side to see someone's leg break in half, I'm sure it was me and Anderson Silva. So all of a sudden, my leg breaks in half and you're there. What, tell me your experience from your, from your view on what, what ran through your mind, what you thought and all that. I was, I, I was, I'm thinking I was in a state of shock because they wouldn't let me in the octagon and Dana walked over and he's talking to me and I don't even know if I'm listening to him, but he's like, can you believe this? And, you know, it's only happened. I, what did he say? Like, I didn't even know what he was talking about, but what he was saying was you did it to Anderson. Now, what are the odds it happens to you? And I think that's what I gathered. But the first five minutes, of the conversation, I don't even, I was just watching you on the floor so it was just a shitty feeling. I mean, you know, really shitty feeling. Did you when I when I threw the kick? Did you know immediately? Like, where were you at? No, when, when that, when I, didn't, I, I, I said, "Wow, this guy, he came to fight, man! You whipped that fucking kick." <laughs> I was like, "What I a great fight, bro!" But I go, I was like this. I go, ah, so you're setting out. You're setting a message right from the beginning, and by the time that thought was out of my head, I was like. What the fuck just happened? Yeah. And then I think I had a look up on the screen. I go, I don't even buy it. It's, it was, I really didn't believe it. I think so. It sucked. It sucked because I, I loved your intent on the kick, you know? Bro, I kicked as hard as I possibly could. You know, you know it's funny. Like Anthony Smith, I told, I think you know this, but I sparred him and I sparred him, you know, yeah. three weeks before or whatever, or two weeks before. And and I don't ever throw calf kicks in sparring. I've never thrown a calf kick in a fight. But you see, it working in all these UFC fights. So I usually go above the knee. But I was like, oh, let me throw below the knee and see what see if I can get that range. The range is a little different. Yeah, yeah, without a so, doubt. Without so I throw it, and he goes down immediately in crazy pain. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, and he, but he ends up telling me like, nah, he's. He and like one of the fights before, he got kicked in the shin a bunch of times, and his calf is just kind of sensitive. And I'm like, bro, you should have oh, told me I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have kicked your calf. Right. And uh, but landing a nice shot, you know, having positive results and sparring, I think it. I was like, listen, as long as I kick below the knee, I'm good. I'm just gonna whip the crap out of it. It, may, it hurt me a yeah. little bit. I don't care. It's gonna hurt him more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, it was like a shotgun went off in there. That that noise oh, was insane. Wow. I thought I, I go. He's Anthony, definitely hurt. Anthony Smith's what. What killed you though? Because the fight before, remember, he was kicking Jimmy Crute, and we were watching it. And I think it was almost like a Jedi mind fuck. Like that is what I'm happens. going right to it. I swear to God, that's that's the way I I pictured it in my head. I go, how weird is that? That's weird. How weird is that? How and then, weird so is he- it's funny how one 
one little thing could sway the rest of your life, maybe, he, right? He doubled like, down if on he it. doesn't have that fight, you don't see that. I don't think you throw that kick right away. How's that? Probably not. It's like a it's, weird, like a mate. It's like a weird movie. It's a weird. We're in a uh, what do they call that? Like a back to the future. Sim, sim, we're a simulation. It's like a yeah. simulation right now, and people Great. are just playing with us. Just yeah. Um, yeah, like for Anthony Smith, for me to hit that in sparring, and then him to be the fight right before me, directly the fight right before me, and then he's throwing him, and the guy's going down because he's throwing calf kicks. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, here we go. It's a big old calf kick on your right hole. Kaboom. Yeah. It's a true. freaking nightmare. Holy smokes. That is a nightmare for sure, but that's why you got the podcast, right? Something good came out of it. You Look got the this. adversity podcast. This is it, man. About won't, you can't back down. You know? Tell me, we'll go into that and then we'll get into some uh, other funny stuff. But uh, if you had to pinpoint like some of the, or one of the like setbacks in your life, like one of the major setbacks where you were, you were down and out, going through tough times, struggling with something and overcame it. Is there anything I mean, yeah, that, could, that comes to your mind that, and then like how you overcame it? Uh, I mean, I think there's a little thing, but when I dislocated my shoulder back then, it was like they, we didn't have the PT we have now. We didn't have the knowledge we have now. So at that time, uh, I was told, man, you're never going to hold focus mitts again. I'm like, why? I'm like, why? Like, that's that's what I do. Like, I would. And I, I know it sounds weird probably today because we're 30 years past that. But uh, back then, that, that was told to me. And I was like, wow, that's that was not good. I was kind of depressed. And I had a guy called K. He was a chiropractor. I was trained in who had, he had like a natural 500 bench. And I remember him going to me, fuck that, man. He goes, we're going to, we're lifting. We're going to cement that shoulder back in. Like it's nothing. And you're not going to be doing like two pound weights because back then physical therapy, they get you like using like the light weights, no more than like 10 pounds, if I'm not mistaken. And then that was it. You were, you were out. So Carl really, you know, was a motivating guy. And he was a big believer in weights. And uh, he really helped me out with that. He got me stronger. And then, you know, my shoulder got better and better. I still think it's a little weird even today, but but it never uh, it never really affected me. So, but my first mentality was like, I'm done. Like, I'm, this is what I do for a living. You're telling me I can't hold pads anymore. It's like, you know, what else can I do? But, and it was only a dislocated shoulder, but back then I think it was, you know, they looked at a little different, you know, doctors are conservative, but you don't really know that back then because you know, nothing really ever happened to me like that. So, uh, but that was a little thing that, you know, just mind, mind wise was like, you know, for probably a couple of weeks or a month, I was like, well, this sucks. You know, I'm in a sling. I can't do anything. And then, yeah, call really was a big, big, uh, important factor in that. He really, made me believe that that was just total bullshit, which it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how everything's just mental, right? You just got to like, you yeah, can't stop moving. 100%. You got to keep pushing. You know, don't don't 100%. just sit idle and feel bad for yourself. You can get through anything. Um, I remember there was a time, I don't remember exactly who lost and, and when it exactly was, but maybe it'll jar memory. But I remember there was a time where, a bunch of our guys, like a few guys in a few weeks and, or a couple months in a row, our guys were losing. We had some losses. And I remember you kind of being like really bummed out. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> because you got your superstitions too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and you start thinking, like, 
I got to tell me, talk to me about this. Yeah, let me tell, tell the you people. Something. I got to <laughs> tell you, man. I took that fucking Rolex off. I was going to throw it down the fucking drain. I blame, I was blaming like, what well, now? What is it going to my head? I got a Rolex. I'm wearing to the fights. Fuck this, man. I'm going back to the way it was, man. Down and dirty. Mike Tyson, no socks on. Walking in. Fuck that, man. And that's really what happened. I know what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I always got down. I mean, really down, but then I go, I'm not going to let nobody outwork me as a coach. I'm right back. I got it. That what, what can I do differently? What am I doing? And, you know, luckily I'd get a couple of wins and start getting the confidence back as a coach and just keep grinding it out. But those losses, especially when they come in a string, but look, I, I started to understand too. Now, like we're all, we're at the top level. Like our, our guys are not getting easy. There's no such thing as an easy fight anymore. And at that level, you are going to have losses, right? You can't always be going up, 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 right? There's peaks and valleys in life and fighting and coaching. And you got to be able to weather those valleys until you get back to the peaks again. And I think I figured that out. And uh, I think sometimes I needed that to become not complacent because I didn't want to go out like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think it always made me try something different or do something different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What uh? What what superstitions do you have? Yeah, I got a lot. Of, you know, not, not, it's nothing to cripple me, but like I'll always take my my dad's dog. Uh, he has like uh, I guess dog tags from the navy. I make sure that's in my pocket, so he's with me every all the time. Are you kidding? I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, I got a nice. Wait, really, he's always I, in your pocket for each for the fights. He needs yeah. to be in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you never lost that over all these years. Yeah, well, then, then somebody loses, so I take it out of my pocket. <laughs> did you ever have? Did you have any? I do my own my thing. I don't, I don't tell anybody about. It. I just got my own shit. Going I know on. that's what I'm trying to bring into. I, I want to bring this out right now. Come on, yeah, welcome yeah, yeah. to the Won't Back Down podcast. Let it loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So things got? like that for sure. You know, I know no, I go nobody can hit, touch your left hand if they're trying to say what's up to you. Fight. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You have to. You if if you accidentally hit his left hand, you got to restart, redo, do restart, the right hand. Yeah, Come on, yeah. you got to be the right. I have hand. more. I, that's more fun than anything. But uh, I think it's in your head. Like it's again, it's all superstition. But I don't think anything's ever. It's not going to cripple me if I don't do it. But I, I like it. It's, it's, it's in it's your head a little bit. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And. Make, it puts me in a good spot because I'm fucking dying before those big fights, man. You know. Yeah, where do you where do you go? How do you how do you stay calm and like try to deal with the nerves going into I a just, fight like that? I think I'm surrounded by really good people, you know, that I could call and talk to, and they got a good way of looking. You know, Doc Sherry was always good for that. You know, Lou. You know. So you would actually when you're nervous and like panicking a little bit about a fight you're calling somebody somebody oh yeah oh, oh, she talked me off the ledge a million times yeah really a hundred percent she was wow. always grounding a grounding force for me yeah you know because i think you know what's funny before your anderson silver fight i remember i'm with dan and he goes i know why you're nervous i go why he goes this is what he says to me i tell you he goes because if he loses it's going to be a highlight real knockout i'm like what the fuck who no, would say that a hundred percent and again, so now I see that, but I almost like that because now I'm, I was, was nervous, but now I'm aggravated. So it's making me overrun, you know, the nervousness. Yeah. He goes, because it's going to be a highlight reel. Cause if it happens, if he loses, yeah, yeah. it's not going to be like a loss. 
It's going to be great. <laughs> I go, I go, is this guy fucking with me right now? Like it's the day before the fight. Yo. But again, I kind of need that shit. I love people trying to throw me. Off. He wasn't trying to throw me off my game. I don't. He just, that's him. That's but him, you're, right? you're completely different. Eyes, you're, right. you're, you need to be positive. You know, posi- yeah, like, yeah, listen, yeah. you put so much work in, right? Like you're, you believe in these guys hundred percent and you want to keep that positive mindset, right? And, without a doubt. Yeah. And now you got people around you who's questioning that, you know, the fact that you could even lose, like, you, yeah, right. like oh, yeah, no, I'm he's actually, not losing. There's no, I'm, like, you can't go into a fight thinking, Hey, I might lose, you know, no, yeah. you're, you're not freaking losing. You're going to go out there and dominate this guy. So when you get someone who's in the corner, who's saying that, it's like, I'm so, sure you went nuts. Shit, man. I got, let me get this out of my head. I'm trying to throw it out as quick as possible. So what did you do? How'd you respond to him? No, nah, I didn't say anything. I said, I don't know what the hell I said. I just got the hell out of there. Yeah. That's funny. But that was, that was like, holy shit, man. No, that's not what I'm thinking about. I just want the guy to do good and perform to his best. I'm just worried. I want you to, I want you to see you do good. It had nothing to do with getting a highlight real senior, you know. What was the what, what fight do you feel like was the most stressful fight for you if you had a if you had to pinpoint a few maybe one one or two three whatever if, or if there's one that really sticks out like this is this is really like you're, you're dying over there going into a fight oh stressful yeah man oh, those championship fights are stressful man yeah um yeah Matt the Matt, Matt. I know the Matt going into Canada was. I mean, you never stopped talking about that walkout, what it was like to be in there. You felt like you guys were going to get killed. Keep going going to that. And Wonderboy and his father backed that up. I know. know. Well, that was the rematch, right? That was just, they had to take us underneath. They had 900 riot-controlled police outside. I mean, I'd go to a restaurant. They wouldn't even serve me. Like, they'd make you wait an hour because, you know, I'd have the school jacket on. Everybody knew everything. Montreal was, was different man matt was getting death threats they had to put him in a room nobody knew what room he was in um yeah oh no no he was nobody he saw nobody before that fight because nobody knew where the fuck he was and people would call me trying to get up there not happening so that was uh the, the championship fights were stressful um yeah that was it yeah, your and fight, i know like man, when, when guys are injured going into fights i know I well, know you that know, kills you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that ball, that, that's... Yeah. Or if you think... I know you panic about weight cuts because you don't have control over that. Yeah, well, I so. always said that, look, like, the way you look at 195, if you could look like that at 185, nobody's beating you. You yeah. know, but that 10 pounds is a huge difference. And there were times when you didn't rehydrate up to where you thought, and it's a mind fuck. You start oh my God, screwing yeah. yourself yeah. up, yeah. and that's, oh, yeah. you know... And then people look at you, and they go, holy crap, he doesn't look good. He's just, you know... It's everything. You got to stay away from everything if you can. But the weight cut thing was always, you know, it's not can he make the weight, it's can he perform at his best at the weight, really. And that's that's really the trick. Because when I see you guys 10 or 15 pounds above your weight limit, you guys, everybody's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. You know? So you got to get that weight thing down. And it's so scientific today that it's better and better, I believe. Guys like Tony Ricci. Yeah, reach it. Right now, he's yeah, he's they're doing great things at the uh, Nova Southeast and the Sports Science Lab. Nova Sports Science. I think Lab. I think UFC uh, with the weight cut thing has just done done it so well. Where <clears throat> they started taking control over the fighters' weight cuts and helping helping fighters with food and uh, rehydration schedules, and they weren't like closed minded thinking that they had the best way. They went out and 
and found like the best nutritionists and strength and coach strength oh, yeah. strength and conditioning coaches brought them in had conferences and they kind of worked out like you know looked at studies and whatever evidence that you know coaches have had over the years working with athletes and brought them all in and brainstormed and figured out what they really believe is the best way to deal the weight cut i do think they i mean it's amazing how much that is that that's evolved no no uh, that's crazy compared to look back in the day it was put on a rubber suit get on the bike in the sauna and just keep riding until you passed out you know i seen that even because i could tell you even when when you guys were coming up me we, i uh, me matt we knew nothing about a weight cut and you know, I'd ask like boxing friends of mine and they were, they were clueless, man. They were really old school. It was nothing that, that made sense. It was not scientific at all. The wrestling guys, because they had to make weight so frequently were better resources. So we used, you know, a couple of those guys that really started helping. And at that point then, because the fights, you know, UFC was new and it was get evolving that everybody was uh, sharing information. But I think, Kenny Florian was the first guy. I'm not really sure of this, but the water loading. Yes. Right? He told Drago about right, it. Right, right. And he actually told him, keep it a secret. Like, it wasn't – it was just for you because, you know, yeah. like, we're close and stuff. But sure, Hang on. Let's just explain water loading because this is yeah. this is the, the way that we're able to do it, lose so much weight in such a short period of time. Basically, you, you have – Sodium, you actually load up the sodium two weeks before the fight for about a week. You have a lot of sodium in your meals. And then the week of the fight, uh, so about seven days, six days out from the weigh-ins, you start taking no, you have no sodium in any of your foods. So you take all the sodium out. So you're not going to retain water. And then you start pounding water at like a crazy, like high quantity. You have um, like three gallons to start. Then you have the next day you'll have you know, two gallons, then you'll have two, you know, or two and a half gallons, and you'll have two and a half gallons again the next day, and then down to a gallon, down to one and a half a gallon, then you don't have any water 24 hours before. And it literally just drains your whole body without doing any crazy workout, you know, any crazy weight cutting workout. You'll naturally lose all this, a whole bunch of weight um, without, without like changing your diet, without like minimizing how much food you have to eat. Um, just by, just by, learning how to deal with, you know, the water and the sodium and manipulating that. And I'll go from like, you know, 205 to like 194 just from doing that. Still drinking water and eating food, you know, four or five meals a day, uh, but just no sodium. So I'll, I'll, I'll lose all that weight. Then the remainder, you know, 194, 195 to 185 to 185, that's going to be like a weight cut. But it comes, it's not, it's, it's just so much easier now. And that weight, that water loading thing, if we don't have that, we're screwed. Yeah, yeah, and that was new as far as not not new, new, but at the time, nobody knew. Yeah, know? the wrestlers, we didn't do that because we had to weigh in. You, you had to weigh, you had to weigh in, and then you wrestle an hour later, so you can't do that. You're too depleted when you do a wake up with water loading and stuff like that. Yeah, so you had to just kind of like starve yourself a little bit with wrestling. We that we didn't do it the right way. We we're. I think wrestlers are known to be good weight cutters just because you're tough and you know there's pride in not ever not making weight. Like you're not right, gonna right. not make weight. It's just like instilled with us, and you make it weight as you know a lot of guys since they're little kids are cutting weight and like make it learning how to make weight. But it's not necessarily like they're doing it scientifically. They're just doing it being tough. Like I'm gonna right. push through this and. But again, it, it did build a mental toughness that when you went on to fight really transferred over very nicely. Yeah, I agree. The rest you know of the wrestling I mean? thing is... Yeah, even as bad as it was, 
again, it goes back to doing the things you don't want to do, but doing them, right? That's how you build discipline. And I think that's why the wrestlers come in with such a great mindset because it's already been built into them since they were young. Yeah, I think wrestling... I think what wrestling, I think why wrestling, I think sets apart from the other disciplines is because, and this is my opinion, one, you're doing it from a younger age, to usually. Two, you have usually a coach who's yelling at you and telling you what to do and staying on you, and it's not about money. It's not like they're, you know, you're going to a jujitsu school and, and they want to keep you in that school because they're making money off you. Wrestling coaches right. aren't even getting paid. You know, you're going to a junior high or elementary school wrestling. They're not getting paid money. They don't. They don't care. They, if you're not working hard, you're out. Like, get the hell out of here. You're wasting my time. That, and that's the beauty of that. And that's the beauty of that. And that's slowly some because business is now caught up in wrestling world too, and it's kind of changing a little bit. But that's that's what made wrestling so tough. You have all these individual competitions. You know, for years and years and years, you learn how to win. You learn how to lose. You learn how to prepare. You learn how to weight cut. And you have someone who is not going to, you know, deal with your BS. You know, if you're if you're being a you know a dirtbag, you're out. You're like you're not a part of. The, you're done. You're not a part of the team. Yeah. And so I think it just creates like this militaristic mindset that you know you understand you understand how to train you understand like how to be tough and and you understand how to win and lose you understand how to prepare for a competition and then you compare that to some of these other martial arts it's not like the other martial arts you know suck i just think it's the way it's been oh, there's a, set there's out a, for the guys it, there's a big difference in the qualities you build in wrestling as the qualities you build in boxing or kickboxing <clears throat> i look if it wasn't for you i would have never looked at wrestling you know and even like Keith would always talk about, you know, the wrestling. So I became a real fan and a student of it really because of you. Before you, I never really gave a shit too much. You know, we'd bring in guys that were probably were using good high school wrestlers, right? That was it, you know. But when you came in, you took it to a 100% another level. But the qualities that I watched, even the young kids training in the school 24-7, 365 days a year, you got to get good, man. Something good has to come of that. It's just the program is it's built into the, into the program that it doesn't have to be fighting. It could just doing your schoolwork or being a better person. I think it's a great, I think it's great. I mean, what I've seen and I, I wasn't in tune with it before you, but now I am. And those qualities you're not beating right now. For, for a kid to walk into a wrestling room as a young kid, Everyone, as a guy, as a boy, you think you have some type of pride in being tough, and you think you could handle yourself if it really came down to it. But you right. step into this wrestling mat. You got your mom and dad there, or you're just your dad, or whatever, whoever's there. You know, people that you know think their son is probably tough too. Right. And all of a sudden, they watch their their son get thrown around, thrown around by a kid his own size, his own age, and. It's embarrassed. Like the wrestler is embarrassed. The dad could get embarrassed. He could put extra pressure on his son. Oh my god! They either quit, but if they they quit most of the time. But if they don't quit, if they're able to persevere through that embarrassing, like I'm losing and I don't have an excuse because there's nobody else on my team and I can't blame anybody. I'm just losing to somebody my own age, my own size. How do you deal with that? You know, you have to. You have to grow as a person. You have to realize, I got to stick to it. I got to deal with the struggle. Stick in. Just keep showing up. And the next thing you know, it, you're beating that kid. And you see right. you know, re- reinforcement from hard work. And it just builds such character and like discipline. And, and you get rewarded by hard work. 
hundred percent. And and look, you know what? It's not a bad weeding out process too, because the guys that don't that want to quit after that, those are the guys you probably don't want anyway. So as far as as much as that sucks to hear. That's the reality of it, you know? And now, yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you. I mean, every MMA fighter that I've ever spoke to 100% feels this way. And even people that aren't into the MMA world but are just like tougher people, the ones that quit, they regret it. They're like, oh, I wish I would have wrestled. Yeah, I wish I would have right, stuck right. with it. You know, because, you know, they didn't understand. There was, there was you know, oh, it's, it's, it's gay. You know, you're rubbing up another guy. You're wearing a unitard. I'm not doing this. You know, it's not cool. Um, that's that was a big stigma with wrestling. I feel like MMA has really helped with realizing that, like these wrestlers who are grinding every single day, you know, they're not, you don't have people in the stands like basketball teams and stuff like that. But now with MMA, it's like, wow, those guys with, that are working hard every single day and running down the streets and have this weird cauliflower ear and kind of, you know, weird. These guys are freaking tough. These guys are animals. You don't want to mess with those guys. It's a great program, it really is. Like it's yeah. a great program. Yeah. I know you're a big Dan Gable guy, right? I read, I like Dan Gable, yeah. He's a Why who, 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 who wouldn't like Dan Gable? Hey, well, I don't know. I don't know what Keith Rogers thinks. Don't you say a bad word about that. <laughs> um, all right. We are uh, we are experiencing some technical difficulties with your uh, internet um, connection. Um, I got five bars, but uh, I got to go out to dinner. I got a busy life. Bro, you're like a celebrity out in Florida right now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, listen, I appreciate you coming on. This is awesome. You have anything, anything you want to plug, like the John Eric and Florian and the Ray Longo Minute? Yeah, extra rounds with TJ DeSantis. I'll be doing that tomorrow night. The Anik and Florian podcast. Hang on, what's the date? What's the day that, that you do it? Just because we're it's not going to hear this. Thurs, tomorrow, thir- oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Thursday okay. at 8 p.m. I'm doing it. But Anik and Florian every Monday morning. I think the show comes out Monday night. Those guys are the best. I'm having a great time with those guys, and it's a great platform. And uh, that's it, man, really. I appreciate the nice words. I thought, you know, you had to do that because you attacked me last podcast I was on with you. So you made up for it. The score was cleared. I don't know. must have been doped up. (laughs) Or my memory's shot. I don't know. (laughs) But – but anyway, thanks, buddy. It's it's crazy how the and I'm 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 proud that you're doing all these different things because you got potential as an actor, you got potential as a stuntman, you got potential on the po- in the podcast world. I mean, you you started off with the Ray Longo minute on the Anik and Florian show, and you, you I'm pretty sure you stole the show. Anything <laughs> I everything I see on on Twitter, you know, it's all about Longo. They want more Longo. You. They, you know, they got all these shirts and sweatshirts and all these different uh, apparel that with your face crazy. on it. Crazy. What is that? What is that? Why, why do you think you're so good? It's all because of you. That's the, you know what's funny, man? I like that you did that. But listen, I, when Matt won the championship, I wouldn't even pick up the phone to do an interview. I had no desire. I don't know what – I think I did one interview with one person. I just didn't – I don't know. It's just when you guys, the younger guys came out and the social media, I guess, like, ah, maybe I'll start talking a little bit. Or, I you know, me and Matt always did the video blogs, but, you know, he was always torturing me every video blog. So it was the beginning of like social media type, I guess. You could look at it that, like that. But now I'm, I just, I always thought of public speaking as, a, as an option when I was younger, too. 
Uh, so and then I feel them. Let's who knows? I don't even know. What Maybe I'm it was doing. when we had our public speaking engagement in New York City. Uh, one of my that, that lifted that lifted your spirits and got you excited about that whole world. That was a great time. That was a great time. It was a great time. Was, those, those listen. The trifecta. We had we had good times, man. That's why I say when we ate dinner the other night, you look around the table, just the amount of good times we had, and the amount of bad times we went through. Everybody's because everybody knows everybody's personal problems. It's that's what it's all about. Now that's why I said you guys, all of you guys, man. It's a fourteen year run. This is insane, you know. So you're still going and. You know, Volante got out, but it's 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 been a crazy run, but it is the end of an era, which is kind of sad, man. When the first day you guys walk through the door. I'm not well, done yet. No, I know. I'm just saying, though, but it's still a crazy <laughs> run. You know what I it mean? It really is. It, it really is, man. Yeah, like the love I have for everybody at that table is just it's yeah. so deep. It really is. I mean, like that that the times and the 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 moments that you share with each one of these guys, and again, like all the personal issues you know that everybody's gone yeah. through. At that table, and we're talking about the table that was filled with uh, me, you, uh, Matt, Sarah, Aljo, Al, Al, Al Valante, Keith Trimble, and uh, John Amato. John Amato. Thank you. Crazy times, man. Well, I love you, buddy. I'm happy for all your success. It's crazy. You know, I'm so glad I was able to do this for you. And um, (laughs) enjoy dinner. Tell Richie and everybody I say what's up. I was just about to say I love you too and then you hit me with that bomb. (laughs) I really hope you appreciated the one and only Ray Longo. He is the man, just a genuine, awesome dude who happens to be very smart and understand martial arts on a level that not very many people could ever uh, understand it at. Um, Happens to be one of my best friends. You know, the coach my entire career, I'll never leave him. He'll always be my coach, even though I'm in South Carolina now. He's still my guy till the end. Um, you know, I just really love to get inside of his brain. And 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 also, you know, I've, I've known him for so long, but to, to be able to share what makes him so great as a coach with the public really makes me happy. Um, because he does get he does get credit, but I still think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves to have three champions all from one small area on Long Island is insane. I don't, there's nobody who's ever done anything close to that. You know, taking, you know, he didn't recruit anybody. It was all local guys who walked into a gym and he created world champions out of. You can't say any other coaches have done that. Um, so it was awesome having him and I hope you guys enjoyed. Guys, remember, if you want to hear more conversations like this one I just had with Longo, all you have to do is click that follow button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you do your listening. Next week's interview is already done, and believe me when I tell you, you do not want to miss it. I have my first A-list celebrity on the show, and it was amazing. And next week, you'll hear all about it during Thanksgiving week, and uh, don't miss that for sure. Until then, I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.